Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Friends, we don't stop worshiping now. I'm going to read God's word, and I'm going to teach from God's word, preach from God's word. Uh, but really, this is this is in many ways the high point of our worship service, and, and it's a it's a part that you participate in as well. The desire is, as God's word is proclaimed, that our minds would be renewed and our hearts would be stirred and our lives would be transformed. And so you need to be attentive as God's word is read and as God's word is proclaimed, that you might be diligent in living out God's word to his praise and to his glory in the week that is to come. This isn't a work that you do alone. The Holy Spirit of God impresses his word on our hearts, draws us to himself, and transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. And so because this is a spiritual activity, even before I read God's word, let us prepare ourselves by praying to God once more. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, you've heard the songs of our lips, songs of praise and songs of adoration, songs, Lord God, which reflect your glory and reflect our need for you and reflect the magnificence of your Son. They have spilled out of our hearts and they have rung out of our mouths. May they rise to your throne and bring you pleasure, almighty God, we pray. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of your word, we confess that it is true and without error that upon it we can build and establish our lives and our testimony that it is good and sufficient for all matters of sanctification. That Lord God, you have given us your words that we might live by them. And in them we see Jesus Christ. Show him again to us this morning, we pray, that you might be glorified in this place. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Well, friends, we find ourselves this morning uh, in a continuation of a series. If, if you've not been with us for a while or if you are visiting us for the first time, We've been looking at how churches grow, because praise the Lord, God really has been growing this church. Even as I look around, I can see that he continually brings new faces into our assembly. And so we've been looking at what God says about church growth from his word, particularly looking at the book of Acts. This is the fifth sermon in the series, and this morning we find ourselves in just one verse. So some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> when I preach on 72 verses, it tends to go a little bit long. Just one verse this morning. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. That's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. On my Bible, it's on page 918, but that's not going to help you. <laughs> I do hear the rustle of pages. It seems a shame to just read one verse, so I'm going to read 
from verse 26. And I'm going to ask as many as are able to please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Would you please stand? Friends, I read to you from the word of God, the book of Acts, chapter 9, beginning at the 26th verse. Hear the word of God. When he, that's Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarshish. Which brings us to the verse that we're looking at this morning, verse 31. So the church, throughout all Judea, and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Are you an ant? Or are you a grasshopper? Here's a story. A family of ants and a family of grasshoppers lived in the same field. All summer long the sun shone. The grass was green, the flowers bloomed, food was plentiful. The grasshoppers sang and danced and made merry. They enjoyed life without a care in the world and did nothing to prepare for winter. While the ants worked tirelessly, transporting food and storing it up in their ant hill. Winter came as winter does. And guess what happened? The field became barren, and the grasshoppers became desperate to eat but couldn't find food while the ants enjoyed the reward of their prudent labor and careful planning. They ate fat all winter long. The moral of the story do what you can while conditions are good. Seize the day. Make hay while the sun is shining. Actually, make hay while the sun is shining is a great analogy for this text because in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we're going to see that the church grows during times of peace. The sun is shining on the church throughout all Judea 
and Galilee and Samaria. And they are making hay while the sun shines. They're not grasshoppers. They're ants. And so they go about three activities to strengthen the church during times of peace. That's the big idea. Maybe repeat it after me. Three activities to strengthen the church during times of peace. Now, if we had to do a survey. In fact, I was saying to someone during the first service uh, this morning um, that, that Chapter 9, verse 31, really belongs with everything that has happened since chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, I would encourage you even to go home this afternoon and, and read Acts chapter 6 all the way through to chapter 9, verse 31, in order to get the big picture of what God is doing in that text. But if we had to do just a kind of like a 40,000 foot view of what's going on in the chapters before Acts chapter 9 verse 31, we would get a painting of a picture of a winter of persecution, a winter of persecution. It starts off with Stephen, one of the men who had been appointed to the duty of serving tables in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Uh, we spoke about him the last time that I was here, and we looked at that text. He's full of grace and power, and he preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 7, from verse 1 all the way through to verse 53. But the end of chapter 7 in Acts ends with Stephen becoming the first Christian martyr. From that point on, in Acts chapter, one to, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to Acts chapter 8, verse 3, um, Saul begins to ravage the church. Uh, it scatters before his wrath in verse 4. In the rest of Acts chapter 8, we have a picture of Philip evangelizing the city of Samaria, preaching the gospel in many of the villages of the Samaritans, and then leading an Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 2, returns to the story of Saul, breathing threats and murder out against the disciples of the Lord, and yet the Lord graciously saves Saul. After facing persecution in Damascus, and then later, as, as we just read, persecution in Jerusalem, Saul escapes to the city of Tarshish at the end of Acts chapter 9, verse 30, marking an end to this winter of persecution. Now, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, there is a moment, a moment to rest. A moment to regroup. A, a moment to catch one's breath. The sun is shining on the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. The church had peace. Luke writes, the church. The word church translates the Greek word ecclesia. Now ecclesia is a compound of two Greek words. The, the first word is ek. It means out. And the second word, klesia, means to call. The church literally is the called 
out ones. The assembly, the gathering. The church isn't the building. The church is the people. We are the church. Luke writes of the church in the singular. Uh, This isn't talking about particular churches. This is talking about the whole body of Christ, the regional church throughout all Judea and Samaria and uh, Galilee. The church at this point, and, and this is worth noting, this is worth taking note of, the church at this point consists of Hellenistic Jews as well as Hebraic believers in the city of Jerusalem, as well as Samaritan believers in Samaria. Together they are called the church. There is one church, one universal church, one unified church. That's important for a church which is as diverse as ours, to recognize that one church was able to contain all of that diversity, not by common culture, nor by common nationality, but by common faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now this, amen, now this unified regional church had Peace. That's what the text says, and that's the big idea in the text. This unified regional church had peace. They experienced peace, an ongoing cessation of persecution and turmoil. The sun was shining. They were experiencing a summer of tranquility. There's a sense that Western Christianity has been in a long summer season. Decades have gone by with hardly any persecution on the church. And what have we done in this pleasant season? We've fallen asleep at the wheel. We've dozed off on duty. We've squandered much of the opportunity. Western Christianity has abused our summer of peace. We've rested rather than readied. We've relaxed rather than evangelized. We've squandered our finances on earthly trinkets rather than on heavenly treasure. We've, paint, uh, we've partied rather than played, and in the last few years, we've filled our minds with Netflix rather than renewed our minds with Scripture. Summer doesn't last forever. Calvin says in commentary on this text, let us learn not to abuse external peace. Solomon gives wise words In the book of Proverbs, he says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And then what sounds like me talking to my children before school on a Monday morning, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? (laughs) When will you rise up from your sleep? A little slumber a little sleep, a little folding of hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber 
and want like an armored man. Now Solomon's metaphor here isn't difficult to understand. The lazy will come to financial ruin. Nature illustrates life. And life illustrates the church in this place. We are to prepare during the temporary respite that we have from persecution. Or we will come to ruin when hardship knocks on our door. Go to the end. Only a fool does not prepare today for what you know that you know is coming tomorrow. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And Paul said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While we've enjoyed a season of peace, there's a bad moon on the rise. But for the moment, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria is in summer, and they are making hay while the sun shines. What follows in our text this morning, our one verse, is three activities to strengthen the church during times of peace. Friends, we're in times of peace. These are three activities that we should be engaging in right now while we enjoy this summer period. The first activity to strengthen the church during times of peace is edification. Edification. The text says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. That's what, I mean, edification is a big word. It's like one of those Christianese words. Um, but edification just means built up. They were being built up. They were experiencing peace and growth. And so they organized a church building project. Not of the, the brick and the mortar type, of the human type. They were being built up in Christ. They were being matured toward the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. They were growing strong in the word, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, increasing in the knowledge of God. They were making progress as a people, spiritual progress. Are you making progress? Yes? Good. <laughs> no? Can I give you a little bit of pastoral insight? It seems to me as I engage with people in previous pastorates, as well as in this one, that the most common cause of a lack of spiritual growth is absence from the body of believers. And this is because our edification is tightly related to the corporate exercise of the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of teaching. Basically, if you want to grow spiritually, 
be devoted to church attendance. Sit under the preaching of God's word with your Bible open and your heart ready. Attend a midweek Bible study. Ask plenty of questions and grow in community together with other believers. In order to make this point, I want to reference Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 13. In that passage, we are told that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, gave gifts to men. What gifts, you rightly ask? The answer is he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, the the pastor teachers. Why does he give these gifts to men? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up, that's that word, edification, for building up the body of Christ until we all maintain, attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the uh, uh, stature of the fullness of Christ. Note the link between the spiritual gifts of leadership especially that of pastor, teacher, and spiritual maturity. If you are to be built up, if you are to be edified, it will happen in community where the spiritual gift of teaching is being corporately exercised. In Acts chapter 20, Paul commended the Ephesian elders to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up. That's that word again. Edify you. The word of his grace. If you are to be built up, you're to be in a community which is devoted to teaching God's word to God's people. Because the church is strengthened during times of peace as the church is edified. That's the first point. The second point is in our text again. The second activity to strengthen the church during times of peace was as they walked in the fear of the Lord. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Our text reads, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. Whenever you read the word walking, In your Bible, think of living. Think of your life journey. Actually, the the net Bible translates this phrase as living in the fear of the Lord. For the believer, the fear of the Lord is not fright, is not terror, is not dread. Rather, it's reverence and awe of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has, has dropped out of common use in our day and age. The church of today is okay with the concept of love to God, but the idea of fear to God feels a little bit too much like the Old Testament. But that's a wrong perception. The Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord 295 times. An example in the Old Testament is Proverbs 14, 26. It says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. 
The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. There are 43 references in the New Testament to the fear of the Lord. Which, by the way, coincidentally, is exactly the same number of references to man's fear to God, uh, love to God. So, for example, in the New Testament, Mary praises God that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Paul commands Christians to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. We are to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Peter says that we are to conduct ourselves with fear. And later he says that we are to honor everyone, that we are to love the brotherhood, and we are to fear God. The fear of the Lord isn't an Old Testament concept. It is a whole Bible concept, and it's not some kind of dusty theological teaching that that you can learn on a Sunday morning and then put on a bookshelf and leave there. The fear of the Lord has immediate application to your life and to your spiritual walk even today. For example, the fear of the Lord results in obedience. Solomon taught that through the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And in Ecclesiastes, he summarized the whole duty of man in this way. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Friends, the fear of the Lord is practical. It results in our obedience, in our sanctification. But not only that, the fear of the Lord results in our worship to Almighty God. In the Psalms, Old Testament, David writes, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. If you go to the New Testament, in Revelation, the angels cry out, fear God and give Him glory because the hour of judgment has come and worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Fear of the Lord has practical application in our lives. The fear of the Lord results in worship. Not only that, but the the fear of the Lord results in assurance. We read in the book of Psalms 33, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Friends, the fear of the Lord results in in assurance. But not only that, this kind of living fear of the Lord results in practical benefits and rewards throughout all of life. It is proverbially true that the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honors and life in Proverbs 22. That he provides food for those who fear him in Psalm 111. That the fear of the Lord prolongs life in Proverbs 10. That it will be well with those who fear God in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. 
This kind of living fear of the Lord results in practical benefits and rewards. And the church is strengthened during times of peace as the church walks in the fear of the Lord. Amen? You guys still with me? That's two points. Here comes the third. The third activity to strengthen the church during times of peace was they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 reads, So the church had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You can see the outline pretty much just matches the text. The Holy Spirit, friends, is God. A divine person with mind and emotions and with will. One being with the Father and the Son. Yes, that is an amazing truth. If the Son is Emmanuel, God with us, then the Holy Spirit is God in us. The Holy Spirit thinks and knows. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit makes decisions according to His will, and the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4 and 5 make it clear that we grieve the Spirit when we live like pagans. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we lie. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we are angry. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we steal. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we curse. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we are bitter. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we are unforgiving. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we engage in sexual immorality. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin. Sin grieves the Spirit of God within us. When we sin in thought, when we sin in words, and when we sin in deed, and even when we sin in things that we have left undone. So there's a relationship, a connection, a correlation, maybe even a causation between living, walking in the fear of the Lord, and living, walking a holy life according to the Word of God, and experiencing the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When we live in the fear of the Lord, when we, we get to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit, where there is obedience to God, there is comfort from God. Jesus promised that a comforter would be sent, an encourager, a helper. He said the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the God or whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Commenting on, on a similar passage, John MacArthur notes that encouragement has the root meaning of coming alongside someone to give assistance by offering comfort or counsel or exhortation. It's this kind of assistance which was exemplified by the Good Samaritan who after doing everything that he 
could for the robbed and beaten stranger took out two denarii and said give them to the innkeeper uh, and gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him and whatever more you spend when i return i will repay you the church today has little or no concept of the pricelessness of this comforter this comfort, this helper, and the help that he brings. Too often the Holy Spirit is sidelined, hardly ever talked about, and yet we need his comfort, his encouragement, his help. Even as we are called to be built up on the most holy faith, even as we are called to walk in the fear of the Lord, as we think of the rapid multiplication of the early church, as we think about the potential for worldwide evangelism, we need the Spirit of God to do the work of God so that the people of God might be built up and live to God's praise and glory. The church is strengthened during times of peace as the church walks in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the sun is shining. There is a time of peace. The grass is growing. The flowers are blooming. And the ants busy themselves. The church, during this time of peace, goes about three activities to strengthen the church. They did what they could do while the conditions were good. They seized the day. They made hay while the sun shone. That's what they did. But what did God do? It says in our text, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That's what God did. God multiplied them. Well, you say, but Mark, surely they multiplied because of all the good things that the saints were doing. Well, yes, that is true. God used the hard work of people to bring about growth. But Luke doesn't leave the glory for the growth in the hands of man. The verb at the end of Acts chapter 9 verse 31, multiplied, is an imperfect, passive indicative. Maybe say that, that might sound like Greek to you, I, I get that, I'm going to explain it to you. But maybe just to make sure that you're tracking me, say after me, imperfect, passive, Indicative. I think a guy at the back just woke up startled. Everyone was talking. He thought the final uh, song was about to be sung. The verb, firstly, is imperfect. The church kept on growing and growing and growing. And we've seen that so far in the book of Acts, haven't we? Nothing can prevent the spread of the gospel. Nothing. In every age to the present, the gospel triumphs. The gospel kept growing on the day of Pentecost. We saw that in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 41. 
The gospel kept growing in the early Jerusalem church as God built his church. We saw that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to verse 47. The gospel kept growing as God purified his church. We saw that in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 16. The gospel kept growing as God organized his church. We saw that in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. And now the gospel keeps growing and growing and growing during this period of peace, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. The verb is imperfect. The church kept on growing and growing and growing. But the verb is also indicative. It's a simple statement of fact. The church grew. We've seen that in the book of Acts 2, haven't we? Uh, We've seen that Luke's refrain through the book is to celebrate church growth. Church growth excites Luke. The victory of the gospel thrills him. The verb is indicative. It's a simple statement of fact. The church grew. Now, here's the kicker. The verb is passive. The church is the recipient of this growth. Someone else is doing the growth to them. They are being grown. The Lord is continuing to do what only the Lord can do, build his church. As we continue to experience times of peace in Western Christianity for whatever period that peace remains, let us continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let us devote ourselves to the edification of the saints. Let us walk in the fear of the Lord. Let us walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And as God causes us to grow, let us celebrate and glorify his most worthy name. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for arresting us, arresting our hearts, exposing us to the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel, his death and his resurrection, that we heard the call to repent for the forgiveness of sins, and that, Lord God, you drew us and opened our eyes and granted us faith that we might believe. Lord, even as we see our own church growing, we give you thanks and praise Because you are most worthy. We ask that you would be glorified in our midst. In summer, in winter, in noontime, in harvest. That the name of Jesus Christ would be made great in this place. That your people might be edified and built up in this place. That we might be a people who walks in the fear of the Lord and we might be a people who walks in the comfort of the Holy Spirit to your praise and to your glory. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za